Jimmy was practicing earlier, and I was running the music for him, and uh, he he said, "Well, you know, does that does that one sound good? Should I do that this morning?" And I said, "That is exactly how I would have done it if I was singing it. <laughs> That's how I would have tried to do it anyway." All right, well, guys, let's uh, let's remember that last week we looked at the parable of the soils, and let me remind you what we saw in case we have anybody with us today that wasn't with us then. We saw there was some hard soil. And remember, this is about how people receive or fail to receive the word. There was some hard soil that that seed couldn't penetrate because it was hard and the seed just couldn't get in. The next soil was shallow and rocky. And so the seed would get in there and it would grow up quickly. And you'd see this thing that looked like a plant, looked like a viable plant, looked like a real genuine believer, but actually was not because it had no roots and it it died as soon as the sun came out. And we saw that that was kind of like what John was talking about when he said, hey, they departed from us because they weren't actually of us. So we can see people who make professions of faith, but then we see that that faith wasn't genuine because they leave and they go away like that seed that gets into that shallow soil. And then we thought we saw a third kind of soil that was uh, the seed would get into it, but the seed had a lot of competition in that soil. There were thorns and weeds that would grow up in that soil and choke out that seed so that it couldn't flourish and, and prosper and, and bear fruit. And I told you that that's uh, what I believe most of the people who attend church in this country are, is those third soil people. And then we saw that fourth soil, that it's good soil. There's not that competition of all those competing loves. There's just the love for that soil and that seed. And it comes up and it produces fruit and it produces tons and tons of fruit. So we want to be that fourth kind of soil that when we hear the word, we plant it deep in ourselves. It produces fruit in us and we don't let it get choked out by the cares and riches of this world. These third soil people were described this way in Luke 8, 14. It said, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Well, the riches and pleasures of life are a constant distraction for us rich Americans. Now, you may say, rich, who are you talking about? Well, I'm talking about all of us that have a roof and food and clean water And expect to have all those things tomorrow. People who don't have those things don't have time to be distracted by them. Uh, My friend Mark who came and and preached uh, revival or, or Bible conference, whatever we call it. When he was mourning the loss of his first wife, uh, he went out to Wyoming. And in Wyoming, he was out there camping. And he was probably 65. And he was camping with a tent and a fishing pole and uh, probably some sort of gun. Now, he had to be out there and not get eaten by a bear uh, and catch his own food. And he said, it's very clarifying when you're out in the wilderness and you have to focus and work 
to stay alive and fed. <laughs> so, see, there were no distractions out there. It, he was focused on getting food and getting shelter and surviving. And so the, the riches of life and the distractions of life were not there. He was focused on why he was out there, which was to grieve, but also to be distracted by the necessities of life rather than by riches in these add-on things. So the passage we looked at last week was about how different people receive or, again, don't receive the gospel. But as we continue today, we'll see that it was also about how people hear the Word of God. So how well do you listen? Well, it probably depends on a number of things, like, uh, like who is speaking, and are you awake and alert? Did you get enough sleep last night? Are you feeling good? I mean, last week... Um, when I got up to preach, I wasn't feeling particularly good. And you have those weeks when you don't feel great and those weeks when you do feel good and you just pray, Lord, uh, you know, I need you to, you to talk whether I'm feeling mentally sharp or not. So it depends on those things. So going back to last week's passage, let me ask you, do you have ears to hear the word of God? When Jesus was speaking to the crowd in Luke 8, 8, he said, as he said these things, so during the sermon, okay, he's, he's given out these things, and as he's going along, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then when he was speaking to the 12 in, uh, in verse 10, he said, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So Jesus said, I'm saying these things in parables so they won't understand. That is weird, isn't it? Now why would Jesus not want them to understand? Because it was the judgment of God on their unresponsive and impenitent hearts. So let me ask you again, how do you hear or how did you hear the parable of the soils? Did you hear the danger and temptation of being that third soil kind of person? Did you, see, did you say that, yeah, I really need to hear this and I need to be constantly vigilant against being drawn away from the word of God and from my mission by the cares and riches and pleasures of life? Or when you hear, do you think, man, some of these folks probably need to hear this. Please be careful and be prayerful about how you hear. Because the Lord is, uh, the, the word does not return void if we will listen and have that receptive soil in us that can take in and apply to us the word of God. If you've been blessed to really hear the word, Please don't take that for granted. If you do not respond to what you hear, you may not be hearing for long. And I hope we understand that, guys. If we don't respond to the word that we receive, then we'll receive perhaps that same judgment that these people did. And we won't be able to hear if we continue to be stubborn and not listen to the word. So if you are hearing and really receiving the word, keep doing that and, and respond to it. So let me ask you, what do we do with what we hear? Because, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, right? We've got to respond the right way. So what is it we're supposed to do? 
Well, please read with me in Luke 8, 16 through 21. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to like. light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now most of the times that I've heard this passage preached, I've heard that verse 17 means that someday all of your secret sins will be displayed before the watching world. I think that is a way that preachers say to people, watch what you do in private because someday everybody's going to find out about this. So it says nothing that is hidden will be, uh, for nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. So uh, I've heard preachers apply this in such a way that they say, well, whatever you're doing that you don't want anybody to know about, someday they're going to know about. And if you're a Christian, you'll be forgiven of those things. But still, shame on you. You're going to be embarrassed in front of everybody. Uh, I, I do not believe that is what this passage is talking about. I think that would be a whiplash-inducing change of subject from what he's talking about right here. And so we need to see what he's actually speaking about and then apply that truth. So uh, from the understanding that Jesus is talking about what to do when we hear the Word of God, let's look again back at verse 16. It says, No one after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. In other words, when we are given light, when we actually hear, we are to share what we have heard and share the light that we have been given. Now, God does not give you truth for you to store up and hoard that truth. He gives you truth for you to pass on to others. I mean, what does the Great Commission say? We all know that it says you're supposed to uh, go and, and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? And that is what it says. But it also says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I taught you. In other words, taking that light that I've given you and giving that light to other people. Then he says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So what God has taught us, we are to teach others. What we have heard, we're to make sure that others hear. That is what verse 16 is talking about. So with that in mind, with that subject going on, let's look at verse 17. It says, For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So I believe what Jesus is saying is that the truths that are now, and he's talking to these disciples, he's saying the truths that are now shrouded in parables, one day will be completely revealed. See, these were secretly revealed to the disciples, and they should be made manifest by the disciples to other, others later on. And that is exactly what the disciples did, right? 
I mean, the reason we have this clear understanding of the parable of the soils is that although it was shrouded in the mystery of that parable, it was taught clearly to the disciples, and then the disciples took that truth, and instead of hiding it under a jar or under the bed, they put it up on a lampstand where everyone could see, and that's why you and I have the benefit of being able to understand the truths of these parables. So the first answer to our question of what do we do with what we hear is we are to share with others what God has taught us. Now, they won't always listen. Uh, I had three different opportunities to share the gospel with people this week, and two of them acted like they were too busy to listen. Uh, That's rare, by the way. Uh, Normally, I don't have that, but this week, two out of the three were, were too busy. Now, did I feel rejected? No. I mean, I really didn't. Neither of them were unpleasant to me. I was just sad that they didn't have ears to hear. Um, I, I didn't take it personally. I wanted to share with them the truths of life and the truths of how to be forgiven of their sin. And they didn't think they had time to listen. So some of the folks won't be receptive. I mean, that's sort of the whole point of the parable of the soils, right? Is that sometimes that seed will fall on hard ground. Sometimes it'll fall on ground that's shallow and and you'll think somebody may be converted, but it won't really last. Well, that does happen, but it doesn't uh, then make us say, well, we're not supposed to cast the seed out. We are. We are supposed to continue to sow that seed. Now let's look at verse 18 and see the next thing we're supposed to do. We are to treasure what God has taught us. Verse 18 says, take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. You know, I've told you this before. The more you read your Bible, the more you're going to want to read your Bible. And the more you will understand what the Word of God says. The less, though, that you care about what God has to say, the less you'll understand about what God has to say. If you want to get a well-rounded perspective on who God is, you need to read and reread the Bible. I mean, it is great to be uh, just focused for a while in the New Testament. But if you only understand uh, the, the meek and gentle and lowly Jesus who is washing the feet of the disciples, I mean, that is a beautiful picture of Jesus. But it only gives you a little part of the picture. Unless you understand the Jesus that we see in Revelation and Daniel. And then you go, that's who is washing these disciples' feet? (laughs) And that gives you a whole new understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. So we need to understand the whole of Scripture. If you want to know God, you have to get to know his word. All right, so we are to treasure, treasure that word. Now, the next is we are to obey what God has taught us. Look with me in verses 19 through 21 of Luke 8. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Hearing and listening Verse 21, Jesus says, those who are in his family are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Now therein lies the rub, right? 
Most of us don't mind hearing a decent sermon and enjoying good worship music if it's done well, and ours certainly is. So coming to church is no hardship, but obeying the Word of God is where we start to separate the fans of Jesus from the followers of Jesus. Now, if you didn't sort of like or admire Jesus, you probably wouldn't even be here. To obey him, though, is what his followers do. If you look at the life of Jesus presented in the Gospels, you'll see that he was not after admirers. He ran folks like that off. Look with me in John chapter 6 for a moment. Let me let you turn over there to John 6. After he fed the 5,000, these folks following him said, man, this is sweet. (laughs) Okay, if I follow this guy around, not only will he put on a good show, he'll give a good sermon, but he will perform exciting things for us and he'll feed us. This is cool. I'm going to follow this guy around. So John 6, starting in verse 25, says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus was not enamored by, their, uh, by, their, by his fans. He said, guys, I know why you're here. You're here because you got your belly full and you want some more. Jesus said stuff that really challenged these fans. If you skip down to verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They were grossed out by this. They were like, he's crazy. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Now Jesus knew what he was doing. So let's see the difference here between a fan and a follower. Going down to verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. When things get uncomfortable, fans leave. But followers say, some of this is hard. As a matter of fact, I think it's impossible without the Spirit of God in me. But nevertheless, you are the master, I'm the slave, so yes, sir. And we obey. Fans listen and they admire, but followers obey. That's a really big categorical difference, huge difference. It's also the difference between a fairly well-behaved, moral, decent guy who would be a great neighbor but who is lost and on his way to hell and someone who has truly repented, been saved, and is bound for heaven. It's not a little difference. It is all the difference. A difference can't become more, can't be more important than that. A fan of Jesus is the kind of guy that would make a good neighbor. Nevertheless, he is going to hell when he dies because he has not repented of his sins. 
The next thing I want us to do from this passage is take comfort in God's sovereignty. Uh, We've talked about that some already today, but please read with me in Luke 8, verses 22 through 25. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? I think you'll see that we we aren't really switching topics here from what we were talking about a moment ago, because God's sovereignty plays a large part in how people hear the word of God and what we are to do when we hear. Now, we're about to have an election in the next few days that will have a huge impact on the present and the future of this country. Am I worried? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, I'm not encouraging you to worry. I'm confessing my sin. I am worried. We don't need to be worried, though, because my hope is in my king, not my president. Now, we did not vote him in. We can't possibly vote him out. King Jesus is going to be on the throne regardless of who's in the White House next year. Jesus had the ultimate understanding of God's sovereignty, and we can see how it affected him. Because here we see him sleeping soundly in the midst of a storm. And you might say, well, yeah, but he could calm the storm, right? That makes it a little bit easier to sleep during the storm when you have the power to get up and say to the wind and waves, be still, and they obey you. We don't have that power, but we do have in our life, just like they had in their boat, the one who can still all the storms. So remember that Luke has been teaching us that Jesus has authority over stuff. And we've been talking about that list of things that Luke is showing us that Jesus has authority over. Well, we can add creation to that list of stuff. Now, I don't, you know, the disciples knew some about Jesus. They knew some about who this Messiah was and that he would be, uh, you know, that Elijah would be his forerunner and that he would come and, and suffer. And they knew that he was supposed to rule. And so they didn't know how all this stuff worked together. But we who have the advantage of seeing the whole scope of Scripture uh, can understand that Jesus getting up and saying to the storm, be still, is nothing, nothing big for him. He's the one that created the water in the first place. He created the wind. He created the, the planet. He created the stars. And so we see, we know that that's no big deal for him, but they were scared to death. You know, they saw a man get up and say, and he didn't even pray and say, God, would you do so and so? You know, Elijah said, God, would you withhold the rain or God, would you bring the rain? Jesus just said, hush, and it did it. And they were scared. They said, who in the world are we in this boat with? So we can add creation to the things that Luke shows us that Jesus had authority over. In verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? 
And I'm pretty sure as I have anxiety and freak out over the election, that Jesus would say to me, where is your faith? So let's vote and trust God. Now he does sovereignly place the person in the White House that he wants on the, in the White House. Uh, he is going to do what is best. Now what is best is not always what is most fun, right? When, I, when my children were little and they would do something that deserved a spanking, I would tell them, you're going to get a spanking. And they did not think that was best. <laughs> but I knew better and I knew that it was best. And so guys, like, like was said earlier by Joe, if the Lord chooses to bring judgment, then that's what should happen. We're not going to like it, but it's nevertheless what should happen. God knows what he's doing. Now, God is the one who prepares the soils that we studied last week. You know, there are some uh, hyper-Calvinists or hard-shell Baptists, I think they used to be called, who say, you know, God is going to save those whom he's going to save. And so really, we don't need to witness. We don't need to sow the seed because God is going to draw those people who are bound for salvation to himself anyway. So we don't have to do that. Well, that is very clearly wrong. <laughs> One of the reasons is we are told to sow the seed, right? So God's not going to tell us to do something in one scripture and tell us that there's no need to do it in another scripture. So we know we are supposed to go out and sow the seed. But we also know that God is the one who sovereignly prepares the soil. And we can't really do that. You know, they say God saves whom he will, so it's all in his hands. That's kind of like saying God is sovereign and knows the day of my death. So if I don't eat or drink, well, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to die. But that must have been God's will, right? Because he knows the day of my death and he's sovereign over everything. Now, if you came up to, to me and asked me that question, I would say, man, quit, quit asking dumb questions and eat and drink, right? <laughs> That's what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to see if I'm supposed to die next week if I don't eat and drink, right? I could go with a long time without eating, but if I don't drink, I'd die pretty soon, right? And so we don't need to ask God, well, is this your sovereign decree that I die next week? I don't know. I'll find out. I'll quit drinking. That's stupid. And that's the same way it is if we say God's going to take care of the election. I'm not going to vote. Or God is going to save my neighbor. I'm not going to witness to him. We are called to do what we are called to do. And then God takes care of his part. person God wants in the White House next year will be there, but we get to vote. God uses means to accomplish his ends. Now, who's going to hear and receive the word of God and be saved? Only those whom God appoints to eternal life. How do I know? Because that is what scripture says. Look with me at a passage of scripture that may be a revelation to you. I read this, um, I read this in a different way for a lot of years until I really looked at what it said. Acts 13, 48 says this. And when the Gentiles heard this, being the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now, wouldn't you think that would say as many as believed were appointed to eternal life? But it doesn't. It says, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So yes, God is sovereign over the soils. 
He is sovereign over those who have been appointed to eternal life. But we are to go sow that seed. That is why the sovereignty of God is so comforting to me. And again, I don't always act like it because I stress out. I'll sit there and I'll watch Fox News and I'll get my stomach will start hurting. I'll get all anxious. I understand. But really, God is sovereign. So we do what we can do. We go vote and we leave it to our good and wise God to do what he wants to do. So let's talk about the witnessing for a moment. Let's talk about sowing the seed. Because guys, as you study church history and as you study it, particularly Baptist history, you see that the Southern Baptist Convention grew uh, so rapidly because people actually took the Great Commission to heart and they went and they shared their faith. Guys, we don't do that anymore, most of us, and we don't grow anymore. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention has not been keeping up with the growth of the population anywhere near. And that did not used to be the case. We used to outpace the growth of population. We used to be this emerging on fire convention. And now we have lost the responsibility to go out personally and carry out the Great Commission. Because we say, now we don't have to do that because, I mean, what do we hire the preacher for? You know that's true in most of our churches. But until that changes, we are going to continue to shrink as a denomination. We're going to continue to shrink as a church. And when we prayed earlier that the Lord would bring a revival, as the only way he's going to bring a revival is through his church. And how is his church going to bring a revival if we're not sowing seed? So guys, we have got to sow the seed. Otherwise, we are sitting on our porch and going, Lord, I hope there'll be a wonderful harvest. But since you're sovereign, I'm just going to sit here and not throw any seed out there. That's not, that's not trusting in the sovereignty of God. That's presumptuousness. And we cannot do that. So what do we do? We really hear the word of God. We really hear it. We really listen. When God tells us something like this, instead of going, I know that Steve harps on the fact that we're supposed to share our faith, and here he is harping on it again, I'll come back next week and he'll talk about something else. That's not hearing the word, right? That's not letting the word sink in. Now, if it was just my idea, yeah, brush it off. But we know that it's not. We know that we are told in Scripture to sow that seed. So we really hear the word. Next, we share the word. God teaches us, and then we take what he has taught us. And we don't hide our lamp under a, a basket or under the bed. We put it on a lampstand so others can see that same light. Next, we treasure the word. Because if we don't treasure the word, what he said was, what you already have will be taken away. But he who has will have more. And so if we dig into the word, we love the word, we treasure the word, we're going to understand more and more of the word and be able to share with others more and more of what we hear. Then the next thing is uh, obey. Obey the word. 
Now, that's not obey the word sometimes. That's not put stuff in place of the real obedience that the word calls for. That is not saying, well, Lord, I know you say I'm supposed to share my faith, but I'm really not comfortable with that, so instead I'll attend church every Sunday morning. Well, it's awesome to attend church every Sunday morning. You're supposed to. (laughs) But we can't ignore the other part of the word, right? So a fan is going to say, all right, I'll come to church. I'll sit through church. I'll even clap a little bit. I might sing. I might even give some money, but I'm not going to obey. When you tell me something that's hard, I'm out of here. A follower, though, says, even if it's tough, by your grace, here I go. I'm going to do it, right? So trust God to sovereignly produce what he desires as we sow the word liberally and indiscriminately. Uh, There are a few things that I'm liberal on. (laughs) But liberally sowing the word is one of those things. Guys, we're not supposed to prejudge the soil. We're supposed to share the gospel. Um, I I shared the gospel this week, or I tried to share the gospel this week with a dude who was here taking care of some business around in the church. Uh, The other person was sitting outside in the shade, uh, chilling out for a minute, and I walked out and and spoke to him. Gosh, I can't think of the third one. Oh, yeah, that was somebody else that was working around here, too. And so I, I, didn't, I didn't say, well, I'm going to set aside Tuesday night to go out and do this, even though that's fine. That's a good thing to do. But it's as we go. You know, we sing that song, as we go. We're going to take what the Lord has taught us, and we're going to teach it to others. So, guys, you don't have to set aside this vast amount of time and resources. Just as we go, we share with others what's important to us. Um, we can do that. If we'll start to do that, then some of the seed will land on good soil and some of the seed will produce fruit and we'll have more people in the church. We'll have more people working with us and, and God can use that kind of thing to bring about revival. Now, I don't mean any disrespect. God can write in the sky and, and leave us out of it, but that's not what he does. He uses the church to bring revival. So let's be the kind of church that he can use because we're moving. You know, they say you can't steer a, a boat that's sitting still. <laughs> let's not sit still. Let's be moving. Let's be doing the Great Commission. And then the Lord will steer us the right way. I was sharing with some of our folks this week about, you know, we've come to a point where we have secured your blessing and your permission to, to go ahead with this South Campus. Now there are things we need to do that we don't necessarily know how to do because we haven't been there and done that. Well, this past week, the Lord introduced me to a guy. Well, actually, he had introduced me previously, but I had a really good conversation with this guy who I found out works with church plants among Mississippi Baptists all over the state. God is leading us step by step as we accomplish what he asks us to do then he says, all right, now is, here's this resource you need. <laughs> I will give it to you now that you need it. Now take advantage of that and continue. So us moving is, is how the Lord is directing us right now. And that is really encouraging to me. I hope it is to you. All right, we're going to stand and sing and worship the Lord. But if you're here.